We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the True Faith Podcast. I'm Alex Hurst. I've got Simon Camel with me and Norman Riley. Me and Simon are back in the United Kingdom for me after nearly six weeks. That's the first time you've said welcome for a long time as well. Welcome, oh, I know. Um, I hate Australia so much I've come back a changed, <laughs> more pleasant man. Um, <laughs> some, some people in Australia were nice, but just not many. Um, right, today's podcast, we've got absolutely loads to talk about. Uh, obviously, we'll have the absolutely super-duper huge game against Swansea City this weekend at St James's Park. We'll have the clubs. Um, you definitely didn't say super-duper before you went to Australia, <laughs> mate. Um, the clubs, uh, under-23 managers suspended over allegations of racism and bullying. We'll have the club's alleged best midfielder potentially about to be sold. And then we'll have um, the manager still not being able to buy any players despite being 10 days into the transfer window and, mo- and most likely... If Newcastle were to sign anyone, it would be next week at the earliest. So you're looking at the 13th, 14th day. So we're going to discuss all that today. You know what, Si and Norman? I don't even need to plug the True Faith event because the sales have been that good. We've sold like... I'm serious. I'm serious. <laughs> so this isn't even a plug. I'm not even going to put the link at the bottom. Of, I might put the link at the bottom of the podcast <laughs> description. But there's only 180 tickets on sale. I believe they went on sale this time. Well, it was actually... We were in the future in Australia, so I don't know. We, it was like Thursday in Australia when we did the podcast last week. But anyway, they've been on sale about a week <laughs> and we've sold 120 tickets. So that's absolutely class. Thanks to everybody who has done bought the tickets already. There's more than three weeks to the event, which is the True Faith Press Forum, um, which Norman Riley, uh, you know, our very own, is going to be on the stage talking about Newcastle, hopefully. Um, you'll have myself and then the good people will be there as well, like George Colgan, Craig Hope, um, Mark Douglas... Simon Bird, Luke Edwards, um, Louise Taylor of The Guardian. So if you want to hear what those people have got to say about the takeover in Castle United in whatever state it's in, and I think we all know it's still going to be in a non-existent state, um, and the transfer window that's just gone, get yourself down to the Tyneside Irish Centre. Um, 7 o'clock, 1st of February, Thursday night, um, come on down. But as I say, tickets are, you know, <laughs> this is like the third event I've done. Um, the two Gallagher flags quizzes and then the, the first press forum and tickets have never gone this fast for anything which hopefully tells you uh, that it's a, a good night so this isn't a plug because I said as I said tickets are going great but the, the link for tickets is in the description um, we'll get on with the show Norman going to jump straight in with you two massive rumours going on at the moment um, re- revolving around John Joe Shelby but first Rafa Benitez to Stoke anything in it for you? Um, no I mean how can they be? Um, look, don't don't get me wrong. I mean, Stoke, you know, is is ridiculous as this is, and is like you know, fantastically indicative as, as it is of um, Mike Ashley's tenure at Newcastle. 
Um, they're a they're a financially better club in terms of what they'd probably be able to offer him in in terms of a transfer kitty. But um, I just I just don't see it happening. I mean, the link has come from the Stoke Sentinel, which is their equivalent of the Chronicle, and this is no disrespect to the Chronicle, obviously, but um, you know certain local newspapers now are so um, at the behest of, of advertising that they have to put out articles that are going to attract clicks. And Rafa Benitez to Stoke for me. And you know what? If I'm proven wrong, then not only will I probably throw myself off a bridge, um, and people are, people are welcome to laugh at us, but um, I, I just don't see it. I mean, the headline in the Stoke Sentinel, what is it? One of the words, it says, Stoke's hierarchy um, is aware of continued murmurings about Rafa Benitez's apparent unhappiness at Newcastle. I mean, so basically, Stoke know what the whole world knows, that Rafa is not getting really what, what he wants. <laughs> so, be- um, so the same with so there's like there's like a link or oh, Rafa's not getting what he wants. We need a manager. I tell you what, hey, what about Rafa Benitez? And, and it's all of a sudden it's just got in the local papers, and I just don't I don't believe it for a second. So basically, one of Stoke's boardroom follows Martin Hardy on Twitter. That's the story. Because um, uh, they know the crack. I'll have a little bit of a rule about what I consider to be a big club. I'm very strict with it. Teams like teams in the Premier League who consider themselves and the media consider themselves big clubs who regularly attract less than 10,000 fans to home cup games in the early rounds are tin pot and Rafa Benitez wouldn't touch him with the barge wheel. I'm looking at you, Crystal Palace. I'm looking at you, Aston Villa. And I'm looking at you, Stoke City. Um, when you get like six to 7,000 fans for home team fixtures, um, <laughs> and invariably it's like the same fans or fans of those clubs that point out Newcastle's one game against Crew in... 88 or whenever it was when it was basically rained off and 8,000 people turned up like, w- the one game in the club's history in the club's post f- post World War World War 1 history um, you know Oxford, Oxford United I think it was in 1991 and I believe I was there and it was torrential downpour and I think there was 9,500 there there you and go it was, um, I mean Mark Mark Kobe I mean if Mark Kobe's here he'd probably be able to tell you the exact attendance and uh, what the lineups were because <laughs> his factual mind is just you know second to none but um <laughs> That I'm pretty sure it was that game, and yeah, it was very much indicative of the um, the era of football. So, with with regards Stoke, the thing is, Rafa's at Newcastle, and there's you know there are obvious reasons that he's that he's still here. Um, he loves the area. He loves. He's got a great relationship with the fans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the reality is, if this club has you know if it's taken over and it's got the right ownership in place, then we we know the potential of the team. Where we've had we've had zero success for. For years and years and years, yet we still get sellouts. We still attract forty-seven thousand. The cup at home to a League Two side. Um, there is the potential there. There is a dormant potential at Newcastle that if if things went well, if we won a cup, for example, if we got into Europe, then you know that's that's a position that, that position that we could we could in theory maintain because we've got that support base. Whereas Stoke, um, they just they don't. There's you know. Stoke in, in five years' time aren't going to have 55,000 people come through that through their, their gates regardless of the success that they might have um, between now and then. Um, whereas Newcastle, five years down the line of good ownership um, and pushing up the table, we you know we, we could put an extension on the ground and, and expand. That's that's how I see it anyways. Do you agree, Si? No rough at the Stoke? That's, that's ludicrous. Yeah, no, I think you, you, you summed it up. That there's the, not... not in terms of playing staff and, and the way we've, we've fared over the last few years, but there's a difference between Newcastle United and, and the teams you just mentioned. They're not Rafa Benitez clubs. Newcastle is a Rafa Benitez club. It's got potential. It's got the fan base. It's got the, the football tradition. And yeah, all right, Stoke's probably one of those clubs, but it's it's it's, it's Tim Pop, as you said. Ludicrous. 
this pattern that you've both just had there, Norman, you've just, you've just said 55,000 is the attendance. And so you just said about the club of their size, if Sunderland Football Club still listen to this podcast, which they used to, because they made us take it down once, they'd be foaming. <laughs> like, Typical mags. Um, but because they're in a soon-to-be League One, possibly bankrupt football club, they probably don't bother. Um, go on then, Norman. Give me the same positive attitude towards John Joe Shelby and West Ham, or do you think there's more, there's more in that one? Um, well, I mean, there's absolutely zero in the Stoke uh, rumor, so there has, you know, there is more in the Shelby one because it, it's it's real. There is a realistic element to it. Um, we know that obviously. I mean, I'm saying we know. We take an educated guess that there's Rafa doesn't trust Shelby 100. Um, percent You know, he's he's kind of obviously Rafa's a manager who rotates, but Shelby in terms of ability, in terms of his natural ability, is you know probably our best. Best midfielder. There's an argument that Marino might be as well, but obviously he's only six months into his first season in the in, in England. Um, and you know, Shelby in, in the you know with a with a squad like you know that we have a thin squad, you'd think he'd be like a, an automatic every every game more or less. Um, and he's not. Um, so that the, maybe there's a trust issue there. And you think well, if if there's a good offer for him comes in, then of course it'll be considered. But it'll only be considered if there's a replacement lined up now. A replacement could be lined up by Rafa, but the reality is the way things operate in Newcastle at the minute is that there's no way, I mean, in my mind, that Rafa would let Shelby go until he's got a replacement through the door. And the replacement coming th- a replacement coming through the door is probably contingent on him getting rid of Shelby. So it's just this kind of this kind of cycle of, well, you know, yeah, a good offer for Shelby. I've got this player lined up to replace him, but I need to get this player through the door first. But I can't get him through the door until I've sold Shelby. But then if I've sold Shelby and we get the money and Ashley decides that he's not spending any money, we're fucked. So I, I just I just don't see I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening without a replacement coming through the door first. Only thing I can see is we're not I'm not even making an argument for it here, is that I, I remember when we were linked with Shelby a couple of years ago and um I probably said on the podcast on the radio show, I think at the time, and I was like, Swans are you gonna sell that like one of their best players and someone who starts every game to a direct relegation rival for twelve million. Don't think so, <laughs> and look what happened. So, obviously we're not dealing with Rafa Benitez, and I think I thought Shelby was really good against Stoke. Um, I heard a few Stoke fans on social media um comment that the thought that Shelby was the difference between the two sides. They had someone in midfield like if you if you compared Shelby to Charlie Adam. Charlie was just spraying kind of passes pointlessly and Shelby was finding Dwight Gale, he was finding Christian Atu in the first half particularly, finding Iose Perez. So I would be really disappointed to see Shelby leave. One of the most interesting things about Shelby for me is, and disappointing, his best game was probably that first game against West Ham, his debut. Yeah. And it's almost like that's what he's... West Ham were a good side back then in the village, they were chasing the top four. Um and we'll beat them comfortably. It's probably probably the best performance under Steve McLaren that game. Um but he was he was superb and it's just dead disappointing and probably a little bit indicative of his character that we've not seen it since. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's 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 it stinks of bad attitude. Someone who's willing to put in a massive performance on his debut, get get all the plaudits and then just unable to, to find that again. And he clearly as you as you pointed out, the only time anyone's going to sell a player to their relegation rivals is if there's a serious serious flaws in the character there. Um, that said, I don't know. I, I can see it happening. He's he's what what would you say our fifth fifth choice centre at the minute? So you've got Saive, Diame, Marino, Hayden, Sir Shelby. Who needs Shelby, man? No, obviously, obviously on on paper and 
ability wise he, he's the best we've got but there's clearly some issues there there's some trust issues with Rafa and I think you're right Norman if there was something lined up which is very unlikely almost non-existent it, it could happen but I don't, I don't even think from what from what we've been reading Rafa wouldn't sell him he wouldn't even sell Mitrovic unless there's some sort of backup and he would love to sell Mitrovic yeah so, I mean can I can add to that lads um, go on. What, what I will see as well is right the, the, the fee being mooted I think is it 12 million is that what the, 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 what the rumours are yep Right, so you know, Rafa's obviously got an extensive scout network and you know a r- ridiculous amount of contacts say, worldwide. But for twelve million, for twelve million, right, right, given the position that we're in, you know, like i.e., like fighting to avoid relegation, which that, that's the reality of it. Um, now, who who could we pay? Like, who could we get for twelve million? Who come into the team who's got Premier League experience and who can offer work at the price of twelve million? What Shelby can on his day. I, like, I can't see it now. Obviously, they could, but you could see all. Oh, well, you know, there might be eyes on a player in a different league, which is fine. But I guess at this time of year, um, to get someone in that's better than Shelby for twelve million or less um, would be a real struggle. I don't know what you two make of that. Well, it's not. It's not just us because we've been asked by um, the listeners if I can find it. You know, Jamie asked why, with all the talent Shelby clearly has, to clubs like Swan to clubs. Uh, like Swansea did was keep considering to selling them to their rivals mid-season, which size kind of answered that question. But uh, it's a good point Jimmy makes, and I, I raised that as well. And like you said, I mean, Davy Stratton says who would actually replace Shelby selling to a relegation rival would be stupid. I wouldn't mind him going in the summer if he would replace him with a better player. I don't think his attitude is right for a Rafa team. My fear is we'll not replace him seen or before. Totally agree, Davy. The the issue I've got as well with this rumour is is 12 million quid. How about get fucked? Like, yeah. how about 30 million quid, West Ham? Um, no chance we're selling for what we're for in the most inflated market ever. Yeah, you know in, in January. You know what I mean? Like, um, you look at the prices of... Who, who was that kid that went from um, Hull to Swansea who might be playing this weekend for 16 million? I, I don't Sam, even... I, sorry, go on, Norman, go on. Sam Klukas. Sam Klukas. Yep. Shelby's probably twice the player Sam Klukas is. That's me. I don't know who Sam Cruises is. I'll, I'm not lying. I'll not lie. He could, he could be class, but um, probably not playing for Swansea. 16 million quid. Swansea is a is a better player, in my opinion. And um, we, we, you'd want 20, 25 million pounds, and I, I don't think West Ham would pay it. So for that reason, you know, I mean, he's a, he's a really, really high earner, Shelby. Um, but apart from that, I think I think he'll be here February the 1st, lads. Well, Alex, you say hi, you know. I mean, like, what, what, do we have any ideas to what he's on? For some reason, I've got 80,000 in my head a week. I don't know why. I, Maybe I had 80,000 as well. I, mean, I think that's right, yeah. Right, um, so, so, a replacement for Shelby at 12 million or less in terms of transfer fees, right? Wanting less than 80 grand a week. Because there's no way that, you know, that, that, that's the, that those wages will be paid by um, Meg Ashley 80, like over 80 grand now. So, we'd be looking for somebody to replace him who is not only cheaper in terms of the transfer fee. But is also demanding less wages. I mean, <laughs> well, where 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 we're going to get that from? Welcome to Newcastle United, Jack Colback. Come on, step up, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, this is going to be a, a long one, lads and listeners. We're fifteen minutes in, and I'm on point one of five, and this was my quickest point. <laughs> point one of six, in fact. So we'll crack on. <laughs> that was John Joe Shelby. We've got absolutely loads of questions about the transfer window, Sai. So I'll ask you my question first since I'm the host of the podcast, and then the excellent list and the questions will come after. So, what the fuck's going on with this transfer window? What do you think? Try and contextualise or give some kind of idea what on earth is Mike Ashley playing at? 
What's his plan? He must have one. <laughs> Hasn't he gone on holiday? Doesn't matter. He's, he just he just doesn't give a fuck, does he? Um, the the optimist, and that's that's very very clutch and optimist, and he wants to believe that there's this there's this Premier League payment due. Is it next week? And that once we've got some money in the bank, physically in the bank, which is how Ashley seems to operate, you're not allowed to spend what you don't have. That we might see some movement on transfers. It's it's too late as far as Rafa's concerned. He wanted these these deals done at the start of last week, but the optimist in me wants to believe that the once there's some cash there from this payment, we'll we'll see some sort of some sort of deals being made. If that's not the case, then we're fucked. Okay. Um. <laughs> The Richie Smith says, have the media national noble been naive about Newcastle's transfer activity this month? Before the window, and UFC will be spending money and doing business. We're a week and a half in, the the, the tone drastically changes. Why do you, He's asking, why do you think the media haven't been more sceptical about Ashley's approach before now? Like, do you, what, do you blame the media on any of this? Well, no, like... You can't get upset with the media during a transfer under these days, can you? It's been going on for about twenty years. Like they just they've got to report something. Everyone wants to read about transfers, as as Norman said earlier. The the modern day media, a transfer rumor gets you clicks. It doesn't matter who's who's who it comes from. I also think to answer Richie's question, and you know the the media lads locally anyway, have great connections with inside the club. Maybe Rafa thought he'd get money. Maybe when he got so got, got like screwed over so hard in the summer. When the stuff coming out of Keith Bishop was like he's got to sell to buy, there's two the wage bill's too high, and he cleared like three hundred thousand pounds off the wage bill with like Lazar, Hanley, sells like lo- loads of players, and cool. he got fuck all. Um, he asked for Southampton's fourth choice left back, they didn't do it. Um, may- maybe again Rafa thought, well, I'll not get as screwed as badly this time. Mike, you know, stuff in the media saying Mike Ashley said he understands Rafa needs to strengthen. Well, here we are again. <laughs> so, you know, maybe maybe the media were simply reporting what was required, but maybe you're right. Sai and Richie probably getting at the fact that the drive for, for um, traffic, if you're going to write in the middle of November, Newcastle aren't going to sign in. <laughs> Spend in January, no one's going to no one's going to click. And I'm not aiming that by the way. Any particular news organisation, um, or or set of journalists. It's, well, uh, yeah, we we one of the lads in the podcast, <coughs> Mickey. Gets excited about every little transfer rumor, yeah, and you know that hell. he's he's exactly why these, these yeah, stories get written. He loves a transfer rumor. He gets dead excited about what was it, David Luiz? There's yeah, been, Louis. been some outrageous rumors going around. <coughs> That's what they're written for, and it's just it's a bit of fun, really. And I, 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 I don't get upset by it anymore. I don't get really, you know, oh that, that the reporting bollocks are lying. Who cares, man? It's just it's what happens now. It's part of part of the game. Can, can you imagine if David Luiz turned up in Newcastle <laughs> and like for some reason would agree to pay his hundred and twenty grand a week wages? And he was like, "Where's my car?" And Charlie would be on the phone, say, "There's taxis on the rank, mate. <laughs> if you've got a car, the take card these days, just just grab one." Um, you know, on that we'll talk some about some t- some transfer stuff now. Norman, this is from Chris Shipman. With the caveat that zero spend seems increasingly likely, what do you think is the minimum required to keep this team up with realistic options? Is it going to be loans solely? And I mean, David, um, David McGowan asked the same question. What's the minimum we need in this transfer window for you? He says striker and keeper. Um, well, I mean, I, I hate, I hate myself for saying this to a certain extent because it's almost like, like it almost like feels like kind of Ashley's mindset. But I think with the squad that we've got and with with the, the manager we've got, we we could probably steal like with what we have already, which you know is it's like it's almost like a really horrible thing to say because. Um, it's almost like limit, like completely limiting, limiting your ambition. Um, 
But in order to be, you know, if, if we if we you know, if, if we could sign two players, let's say, then I would. I mean, I think a centre forward's um, an, an absolute an absolute must. Um, one one hundred percent. And I would. I don't need, the keeper one's an interesting one because um, obviously Dalu is is really coming to his own the past couple of games. Um, oh, <laughs> that's that's, a, me, that... dog, that's me dog scratching here, by the way. Sorry about that. <laughs> Sound painful. Uh, no, she's she's in absolute agony when she's doing it. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, um, so the, the the goalkeeper thing, I'm not, like put it this way: if there was a limited pot of money, and you had to buy, and it was like two players that we needed. Like I'm not sure that it would be a goalkeeper I'd go for. Um, uh, it, it would be a centre forward, and possibly um, we've mentioned this quite a few times. A player, and for me, it would it's, it would be like maybe like a centre centre midfielder, but a box to box centre midfielder with with. Experience who is a vocal presence on the pitch. That's what I'd, that's what I'd like to see. We're saying you don't want much, dear. What's that? You're not asking for much, like with no money. I want I want an experienced Premier League player, box to box. This is realms of fantasy. The reality is, we'll be lucky if we get a couple of loans through the door. Um, and who those loans will be, I don't know. I mean, there's talk of this Kennedy coming. I mean, you know what? He's he's like a, he's he's played by Chelsea in cup games. He, he looks like he's got a bit of potential. Um. Is he the kind of player that you'll think, like, oh, nice one, you know, we've got Kennedy on board now, like, we're going to be a lot better off. I don't know about that. Um, it's, I think the, the most important one would be it would be getting a centre forward. You know what, let's just get Luke, Luke Remy back. He's, on, he's available on a free, let's just get him in. He doesn't cost no. Yeah, and, and and to be fair to Newcastle and Lee Charlie, that is literally what they've done in the past yeah. for Kundo. Who was the kid we got from Roma? Dumbia. Dumbia. That very much. I mean, Norman. Uh, you know, you 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 both have the same hairstyle. You and Lee, like it's, you're basically singing from his hymn sheet here because he loves a free lad who's shite who will make no impact to come in <laughs> as a kind of uh, as a kind of decoy. Can I just say about the hair? I shave my head. Like I've got a full head of hair. I just choose to shave it. Whereas he's got male pattern baldness. There's a big difference. All right. <laughs> Sorted. I just say I've never seen Norman and Lee Chan in the same room. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. Prove her wrong, Lee. Come on the sh- come on the show. Um, you know, quickly, Carl Douglas has said, uh, "Why doesn't Lee Charnley act as quick in transfer windows as he did with lightning speed when he vetoed the move for Deli Ali?" Probably, Carl, because he has absolutely no influence in terms of transfers and in terms of financial um, pressures at the club. I think we're going to talk about the Peter Beardsley situation very quickly because it's depressing, but it needs talked about. Um, you saw how Beardsley wasn't suspended as soon as those allegations came to light. I, I don't think. Um, you know, Lee Charney has any um, say in terms of what Matt Rafa Benitez can or can't spend. Might be wrong. Um, Lee Charney doesn't speak to the media, so we don't know. He kind of leaves he leaves it in open interpretation. But um, you know, yeah, that Deli Ali deal was just a number of deals. Mark Douglas, if you read his book, and if you you know Mark's been on the podcast a few times, is aware of a number of really promising transfers that Newcastle should have made, and the players would have come. Um, that's the likes of Charney and etc. Have. Uh, have sacked off. Um, Sai, back to what you were saying before, you know, Phil Hodgson asked, in your opinion, does the lack of funds um, mean that the takeover is imminent, imminent or just show that he's deluded and the regime was inept? The subtext of Rafa's tolerance of this mean that he's hopeful of just being professional. You know what, Phil? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to park that one, side because, we'll, you know, I'll keep that question and put it to uh, the lads at the press forum. So if you listen to that podcast or come, if you're locally based, we would just be guessing, whereas those lads and Louise will be able to answer that question far yeah. more uh, with far more insight than we can. 
Um, you know, there's a few people asking us, do I think the takeover will happen? No one knows. I, I do. I do think the takeover will happen, but you may as well stay positive. I mean, um, it's just, it's just, it's just bollocks, isn't it? You've seen all that crack on Twitter recently about companies house and new companies being registered and just yeah, de- uh, desperate for des- there to be desperate, some, some desperate sort of positive people. news, but it's yeah, it's it's we just brutal. Don't know, man. And we've got loads of people asking on this, like if if he isn't backed, will Rafa chuck it? You know, John asks if if Rafa isn't backed, how long does his patience last before he chucks it? Um, you know, on that one, I think he loves it. I think he's got some patience yet for, but maybe that's just wishful thinking. He's I, still I, here. I, I don't know if he loves it, Sai. <laughs> I don't know. I think that might be going a bit far. Um, you know, Natural Dog says Crystal Ball time is rattling to get no help in this window. Do you think you'll keep us up and the takeover will happen? I do. You know, again, we'll talk about staying up in a bit later um, and what we think we need and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think I think Raffle will be here. Whatever was to happen, even if he was to get zero players in January, I think he'll be here at the end of the season. And then the takeover would have to happen. Could you imagine uh, if he kept up at the end of the season and actually had him back down to Sherbrooke and was like, right, Rafa, every available, every last penny, <laughs> you will get. I'm paying myself 36 million quid, by the way, but apart from that, the rest of it's yours. Um, no, no, Mike, you've said this twice before. So. <laughs> <laughs> El Biodo says, do you, do you think the takeover is more likely to happen if we secure Premier League safety sooner rather than later? Yes, because Mike Ashley would put his price up. Um, relegation... The relegation threat, in my opinion, is almost a negative for Ashley, not a positive. Um, sorry, the other way around, because you know I think that Ashley, when it's a guaranteed Premier League club, will be pushing for that three hundred and fifty million mark from what we've heard in the media. Whereas at the moment, if they've offered less than three hundred million, there's relegation clauses in that. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like being backed into a corner. Um. So yeah, we'll talk about that later as well. Um. Regarding. You know Newcastle and um the, the t- you know staying up and what we think needs to happen all that kind of stuff, um quickly um Norman because we had a question left over from the Luton podcast from Paul is Rafa banking on players substantially improving this squad, um or do you think there are any players left underperforming who Rafa could bring on in the second half of the season to improve things? Is there anyone who springs to mind? Um. You know what? A little bit controversial, but um, I think that Marino's gone off the boil, um, especially since he come, he's come back from injury. He's shown, he's shown flashes of what he can do, but um, I think if he gets a run of games and he and he gets himself 100% fit, then I think more can be, more can be dragged out of his game. Obviously, you know, I suppose with Marino, it's a case of trying to remember that he is only 21. It is his first season in um, England, and he hardly played at all last season at Dortmund. But I think I think there's more to be dragged out of him. Um, in terms of other players, it's it's difficult. It's difficult to see. I mean, because to a certain extent, yeah, you're comparing performances so far in the Premier League with performances last season in the Championship. So let's say I could see a Richie, right? Richie last season, goals, assists. Yes, he had a lean spell around about uh, during the winter. Um, but in, overall, you know, he got what 15 goals. He got a lot of assists, and you think, well. It would be good to see Richie Chip start chipping him with goals. Is that something that can that can be worked on to get his confidence up? Um, but it, it's difficult because he was in a completely different league. Um, I think one thing that has pleased me, and I know that his performance was criticised at the weekend, um, but Perez got two goals and he got a goal uh, against Stoke. And weirdly enough, he's my top scorer now. But um, I think Perez being given a, a decent run in a, in a position that he's comfortable playing in 
we could get something more there as well. Um, Darlow's coming into form, so hopefully that's something that'll that'll be you know that that'll carry on. Um, but apart from that, it, it's it's hard to say because um, the, to see oh can we get more out of these current players? The reality is, most of the players in the squad were in the championship last season, so. To compare what they were doing last season with this season, it's it's almost like it's almost to a certain extent pointless because they've, they've stepped up a, a massive level. Um, I mean, we're thirteenth in the table with ostensibly a, a championship squad, which in reality is a hell of an achievement. Well, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, that's pretty well well answered. Um, you know, I, I couldn't get through all the questions. We need to do a a Q and A podcast sometime where we can just invite hundreds of questions and get through them all. But there's so many questions submitted. It's and a lot of them cross over. It's hard to get through. Um, Lube driver, which is a pretty interesting, ask, <laughs> um, is saying essentially or asking that you know both him and where is he um, and Jack are basically saying um, what will Rafa's demeanor be like um, if he doesn't get the funds to spend? And I think he'll be foaming. I think he'll let the media know. He'll let the fans know. Talk sport and some selected Newcastle fans and Keith Bishop Associates will be back on the oh, you should um you know, stop whinging and get on with the job and he'll make the other players feel bad. Even though the players aren't thick, the players know they need an injection of quality. Um I think the mood will be toxic, but much of it depends on this weekend in the games against Palace and Bournemouth in uh February, also Burnley at home. So Kind of, yeah, the transfer window will dictate things in terms of mood of the fan base, but as ever, with football, football matches and points will be more of a, you know, uh, an indication of how everyone's doing. I'm sure if Rafa Benitez wins the last five games, you know, no transfers are, are going to be all right because we'll have stayed up uh, in February, which is a nice one. Right, have to move on really quickly because we've done 28 minutes and I don't think I've mentioned the name Swansea. <laughs> yes, this is a Swansea City preview. Uh, thanks to everyone who submitted questions. We're, we like answering them and it's good to get people's thoughts. I'm sorry if I didn't get around to it. I definitely will next time. But really quickly, Peter Beardsley, Newcastle United legend, and until very recently was in charge of the under-23s. He's been suspended while the club investigates uh, allegations of harassment, bullying and potential racism. We don't know if those are true or not, so can't comment on that. Wouldn't wouldn't dream of comment. Everyone's uh, innocent until proven guilty. However, it's yet another shit show for the club. Um, after the Jonas Gutierrez incident, um, it's the most depressing part of it for me. Is that this is our academy and our our under twenty threes, and there are players there who, you know, who are making allegations that they don't feel supported, they feel marginalised, and. Whether they're true or not, can we all sat here and everyone listen, can you say that Newcastle United's academy has been performing well since Mike Ashley came to the club? You could also argue beforehand, but particularly since Mike Ashley came to the club, who have we got done it? Is that it? Has any, any other players come in and held on a first-team place? No. And it's like... You could argue Andy Carroll was, was part of the same era. I suppose so, but when Ashley came to the club, he's already out, out yeah. on loan and stuff like that. But... It's um, it just stinks, and it just such it's such a bad image for the club, and the club once again is making national news for the wrong reasons. And Craig Hope's written a brilliant article on Craig and on Peter Beardsley's checkered history at Newcastle United since he retired, and uh, you know stuff like Glenn Roder banishing from the club, and Glenn Roder's a good bloke, senior players in two thousand and nine making it clear they didn't want him around for whatever reason, um, 
yeah, it just it just stinks, and I hope it gets resolved as soon as possible. And uh, it's just another arm or branch of Newcastle United that's uh, almost neglected in terms of funding, in terms of facilities, and in terms of, uh, do, do you know, do you think Lee Charney or Mike Ashley, do you think that asked about the under 23s? Yeah. Do you think they check the results? Do you think they give a shit? But in terms of problem management, if, if shit like, and again, it's, it's all alleged at this stage, but if shit like this is going on and there's just nothing in place to kind of monitor and and ensure that it's, it's not happening, it's just, you're right, it's just, it's sad. If anyone's in any doubt, really do read that Craig Cobb article. It's excellent. I'll, I'll put a link in the, the description of the podcast. Um, so I'll have a read of it because it was really uh, interesting and a uh, few things there that I hadn't heard of either. Right. Norman, Swansea City at home this Saturday. <laughs> what a what a game. Is it a must win, a must not lose or neither? Well, okay. It's, it's a must win in the sense that I think we're game after those Man City here, right? So the reality is we're not going to get anything there. Um, that's not being me, me being pessimistic. In, unfortunately, I'm just being pragmatic. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you never know. You never know. We'll make it a point. But anyway, I mean, it's it's massive. But pre-Man City, it's huge, and especially if it's against. Um, and if you look at the fixtures, the other fixtures as well, Brighton, Huddersfield, Watford, all playing against teams below. Um, so if we win... On Saturday, there's you know there's every chance that you know we're right. We're either going to gain ground on Brighton, Huddersfield, and Watford, um, or we're going to lose. Like um, we're going to gain ground on the teams below. If you see what I mean, we're going to end up being like we're going to end up being in in tenth, theoretically. Um, so it is it, it is huge. Um, and a defeat. This it's so tight at the moment. A defeat um, could actually leave you in the bottom three. Now going to Man City in the bottom three uh, would be. It would be a, it would kind of be a big blow. Um, it would be it be a be tough in terms of overall morale. Um, so I in, in in that sense it's, it's a must win. And obviously you know we we beat Stoke away, we beat Luton at home. There's there's momentum there. Um, in another win would just give so much confidence and, and, and belief. Um, so I I must win in all in all, in all that sense uh, in all in all those senses. But at the same time, um, a draw. Um, wouldn't be the end of the world, depending on on like on how we get the draw. I.e., is it a good performance, a battling performance, um, and the other other results around me? Um, but I mean, you know what we we ha- I think I, I don't think there'll be many Newcastle fans out there now not looking at this. This is a must-win game, and I, I don't I don't envisage for one second Rafa and the squad not looking at it as a must-win. So, so I it's 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 very very important. I, th- I think what you've just said is exactly what's been a problem <laughs> a little bit over the last, maybe not even just this season, but beyond that. We've had so many of these must-win, must-lose, not must-lose, you don't. You never have a must-lose game. Well, you could argue some some must-lose games. Um, you want McLaren to lose these games and lose his job. Um, but yeah, the must-win game, that, that, that phrase itself creates hysteria. It creates a St. James's Park that's really difficult. Like it, It's proven in the last... In the last twelve months, it's become really hard to play home games because there's so much pressure out of these must-win games, and the amount of must-win games that we haven't won, and then we've still been fine. Like we've had three or four must-win games so far this season. We're sitting thirteenth. We didn't win all the must-win games. I think we need to be be careful about um, treating so many games. Like if if we lost, if we lost, it'd be massive. It'd be a bad defeat. But Rafa would go back to the fixture list and look at the remaining fixtures and start targeting where he's going to get the next points from. It's just not. It's never a straightforward, and I, I get it. Swansea are, are below us, and this is a good chance to go. Is it nine points clear of them? Which, yeah. would, which would be huge, but 
must win. It's it, 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 it. you know what you know what Simon. I agree with you. Like the, the semantics of like must. I mean, obviously, it's not must win in the sense that like if we don't win, then we're absolutely notly fucked. I mean, that's not. I suppose that that's not what I'm getting at. Um, let let's take away must. Like it's it's a very very important game. That yeah, would absolutely. Be fucking magnificent if we won it. Um, if we don't win it. It'll make it tough, obviously, going, you know, possibly in the bottom three to Man City. But like you see, of course, there's all the other fixtures here that Rafa's going to look at. Um, but in terms of like levels of importance, like winning this, like it takes so much of the pressure off for the for the next game. Not winning it and then not winning the next game puts even more pressure on the on the game after Man City against um um who are we playing? Is it is it Burnley perhaps? Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah. Put all the pressure on that. Um so I must win, yeah. The phrase itself is absolute bollocks, but um, I suppose this game is just very important at this stage of the season against the opponents and given the round of fixtures this weekend and given our next opponents. It, it, there's no point denying it. It's it's a very important match. Here's my take on it. Um, yeah, he's all right. The last must game we had as a football club probably was Villa away, which we didn't win. Yeah. Um, and. And obviously subsequently relegated after that. Um, probably the last time I felt like this at a home game was was actually Swansea at home. Rafa's first win, 3-0. Because that was a must-win game. I mean, it, it wasn't mathematically must-win, but it was like, if we don't win today, we're going to be relegated two or three weeks before the end of the season. Yeah. Um, you don't know how big a game it is until the end of the season. We could lose this game and stay up makes it far less likely and it's not not something I'd like to try and do um, <laughs> Swansea have won twice away from home this season they won 2-0 at Palace in August when everyone was beating Palace and uh, they won 2-1 at Watford in Carvajal's first game uh, Watford should have won that game comfortably they had a second goal disallowed for literally nought. that's the way it's fallen for Swansea they were very lucky um, they put in a decent performance against Spurs were done 2-0 um, it's just if people say on Newcastle United going to stay up, obviously you listen to the True Faith podcast. You know the crack by now. We're going to say yes. Um, why? Why do I think we'll stay up? Well, we've got Swansea. And we've got West Brom at home. Two the, the two worst teams in the Premier League, yeah. and comfortably the worst teams at the moment. By the way, they're both they're both adrift at the bottom of the league, um, and certainly adrift of survival. And it's looking like it's looking like a they'll both spend unlike us. Um, but it's looking really difficult for them because if we, like Sai correctly says, we beat Swansea, we go nine points clear, nine points clear with 15 games to go with a, I think what, a plus 10 or plus 11 goal difference, 10 points clear effectively with with, with 15 games to go, you know, that they have to cross off another one we can't catch. Like we were when we got relegated last time and you were like, Bournemouth are in it and then they win three games and they bounce. Well, that's another one we can't catch. So psychologically, this game's as big for Swansea, obviously, as as it is for this is... This is a must-not-lose for Swansea. They, they cannot get beaten this game, and we've got to use that to our advantage. Now, last time we played Swansea at home in the Premier League, it was one of the first worst first halves of football I've ever seen. And it was a very similar game. Guidolina coming in at Swansea, he'd done a good job, but he just needed one or two more wins, and they were still about the relegation zone, and they weren't clear yet. And we saw two very negative teams come up against each other, and then Jamal Lascelles bundles one in from a corner right on half-time. We win the game 3-0, Townsend and Wormusa score... And it's a it's a canny day, and like we had a good night afterwards in town, and we had a good drink. I want that this Saturday. I need that this Saturday. I don't want to be sat here on Sunday doing a podcast talking about how shiny Castle were at home again, and that's what we won, and that we did against Palace. 
or how we're a draw or how we're made defensive errors. It's one of them games where, and, and, and we've done this regularly, the big games, we've talked about it constantly, would would do well in the big games. And yeah. big, well, big games aren't Man City, like Sky want to talk about, you know, in front of the cameras and Newcastle have done this in a big game. Man City at home or away is not a big game for us. It's an unimportant game in the context of our season and anything is a massive bonus. Swansea at home, yes, we could draw the game and yes, we could even lose the game and still stay up. They aren't outside the realms of possibility, but in terms of probability, this Newcastle United with this level of investment and the problems that we have surrounding the club would need to beat Swansea on Saturday. We need to beat them. Um, the fan base needs us to beat them and I think he played the team he did against Luton ahead of this game, as Norman correctly says, to build up that head of team. Two wins in a row, goals scored, defensively solid. It's looking quite good. Um, Sai, why do you think that our home form has been so bad for so long? And how? <laughs> because, and why does it change this weekend? Because every time we play at home, it's a must-win game. <laughs> and and if we're not winning by half-time, the, 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 it's just it's becoming difficult to play. I, I, I touched on it before. St. James's Park, in a season like we're having where... Which we need points. We're desperate for points. We've had it. We've had a terrible run before Christmas, and with every defeat or with every game where we don't win, it becomes more difficult to to turn it around when you, when your home fans kind of, also, and it's it's not we know it's not deliberate. No people aren't being dickheads on purpose. It's 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 I'm nervous when I'm some of them Well, yeah, I'm nervous at the match. I'm I'm sitting there going bloody hell, man, like, but. You can you can feel you can feel the nerves and that you can see, you almost see it. It transfers on the pitch. These players we've seen them put in some unbelievable performances. We've also seen them put in some really nervy, uncharacteristic performances where they just kind of string passes together, and that's that that nerves that pressure just like boiling over. We all know we've got the youngest team in the league. We've got a bunch of lads here who, who don't need added pressure. So it's just that kind of. I think you're right. That win against Luton and and getting putting a little run together is exactly what we need to just it'll change everything. This team with confidence is fine. It's it's this team when when trying to get itself out of a hole. It's it's just been it's been really difficult, and I think that's just compounded. We've had quite a few home games that have become they've come off the back of you know the, the bad away defeats at your at your Brighton's and uh, Huddersfield. We've then had home games that we've had to win, and the pressure's just been there. So I honestly think it's just a it's a young squad under pressure. We've already touched on it. It's we we so, know we know where the deficiencies are. So with all that in mind, how how why is this that why is this weekend going to be any different or is it not? Because <laughs> I'm not gonna. <laughs> if everyone thinks like me, it's not a must win <laughs> game. It's just just a game. And that, that that's what Rafa wants to put across. It is just a game. It would take it one game at a time. If if it doesn't go well, we'll go back to the drawing board. If it goes well, great. We're in a great position, but. You'd be drilling at them, the players all day, like, look, this is just Swansea, look, treat it like every other game. Every team we've, we've played in the bottom five, we've put in a good performance, really, you know. Um, West Ham, we've, we've played two excellent performances against uh, Stoke, the same. The teams around us, we've, we've played well against, which has been quite surprising, because we thought it would be the opposite at the start of the season. I think we, we talked about Rafa's uh, main asset here, it'll be to get points off the, off the top six. That's not really been the case. It's been... It's been winning the must-win games around us. Without we're, we're top of the second half league, the second yeah. half of the table. We're top of that league. Defeats against Brighton, Huddersfield, and uh, Bournemouth, and then everyone else we've either beaten yeah. with or drawn. So that's really positive. And if we if if we sustain that, we will stay up. And the, and so that's the, nice. The key is like, look, we're playing Swansea, man. We're better than Swansea lads. Don't don't worry about this must-win. Don't worry about the league table. Worry about we're a better side than these. It's a game of football. That's what Rafa will be going for here. 
And I think as a fan base, we kind of need to, to take that take that thought process as well and not get too sucked into the, the must-win nature of the... I don't even know if I agree with you. I don't even think fans are nervy because it's a must-win game. I don't think anyone thought Watford was a must-win game. Like, I just think it's just the nature of the beast. But then also, as as, as much as I've liked doing it over the past couple of years doing the podcast, I can't just blame everything on the shite home support. <laughs> like, the players have got a duty to do better and manage the support. Uh, you know, this. You know, we're, we're pretty jet-lagged. Come back from Australia and sleeping patterns fucked up. Um, I've found solace in watching the full 90s or extended highlights of the West Ham and Stoke wins. And one of the things which didn't appear to me in Melbourne side watching the West Ham game, Melbourne wasn't I pissed at 2am, was how good our passing was in the final yeah. third. And it's the same against Stoke, where passing in the final third is was brilliant. The amount of times the ball was laid on perfectly for absolute running to win the box. Players were found in space. Mark Ritchie's passing was excellent. Dwight Gale received the box, brilliant, the ball in the box each time. And then you, you compare that to the Brighton game and you compare that Man City's kind of an anomaly, but certainly the Brighton game. And it's like, we're kind of, we're kind of kicked the ball to another black and white shirt. It's like the ball went out of play more times than it went to a teammate. Um, that I can't, I can't reconciliate that. I'm not Rafa Benitez. I'm not paid what he's paid. I'm not a world-class manager. I'm sure he'll come up with the answers, Norman. But can you see or can you put your finger on anything that he's going to have to change to really sort things out this weekend? Um, anything that really needs to change? No, no, no because you know you, you, ha- you have to you have to look at the Stoke performance, and that was um. But that was that was away from home, though. This is what point. No, it, it, it was, but, I mean, when West Ham was away from home as well, but, um, it, it the, the performance, if the, if the performances are similar to how they were against Stoke and West Ham, then I, I'm confident that we'll win. Um, in, in terms of changing things to, to, to what, to keep the crowd positive all the way through, I mean, I, I, I honestly, I honestly think that if we put in a first half performance like we did away from home against either Stoke or West Ham, then I think <coughs> people are going to be very, very positive throughout the whole match. Um, and I think, I mean, what would be absolutely ideal and especially ideal against Swansea because the will collapse would be would be an early goal. Like I, I genuinely think that their their confidence is so unbelievably brittle at the moment. And I watched them. Uh, I think in the last match against Spurs and. They're just not very good. They're not. They're not a very good side. Even even on, even on paper, the squad is no. I would. I would. I honestly think it's no. It's no better than ours. Um, so getting getting early goal against them, and I really think that it's 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 ours. I really think it's ours. I do. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think we've we've tried that a few times, haven't we? Um, I think Bournemouth, um, even Watford springs to mind where we started the game strongly. Didn't get the goal. I think it's so important. Rafa targets these games. He probably knows if we can get the first goal here, we'll. We'll we'll probably be quite comfortable, but if we don't, that's when it gets nervous. So yeah. I'm sure we'll come out come out blazing as we as we have done in these sort of games, so far. And I think we're we're due one we're due one where we do just get that early goal, set the nerves, the crowd the crowd are bouncing. We're going to win three 0 The other thing as well is that um what what and Bournemouth are now, um, Bournemouth especially we were really unlucky. I mean the goal was a goal that was a goal, and I think if yeah. I had gone in, we would have been absolutely fine. Um. Uh, the Watford game again started okay, and they just absolutely smacked her after that. But, mm-hmm. but the reality is, Watford and Bournemouth, no matter how you look at it, they they just better than than Swansea. Um, and it was obviously a little bit earlier on in the season. Watford on a, on a brilliant run at the time. Bournemouth was earlier on in the season. Uh, they were just starting to turn the corner. Swansea at the minute, like they look, 
they look like a team and um and with the appointment of Carvalhal especially they almost look like a team and a club that's preparing and kind of already accepting that the worst's likely to happen um so i think we've got we've just got a better chance of, of getting that early goal in and um and going on to win the match and not being punished not being punished for not getting the early goal let's say you know what I'd love to see, and I've mentioned it before, and every fan probably thinks like this at every club, we could do with some luck. Do you know what I mean? We could do with, like, one of Matt Ritchie's Thunderbolts not hitting the inside of the post. Or penalty. Getting a penalty. Getting a pen. Or one, when Dwight Gale brings the ball down in the box like he does pretty well, it's just falling from. Um, or keepers not making great saves like Matt Ryan did against him. Or just, uh, you know, like, the kind of we did have it against Palace, I suppose, where we got the goal late on. Bit of a lucky goal, but since then we've just had an out. And the opposition have enjoyed their fair share against her. Um so that would be nice as well. Um Sai, who plays for you? So what I've just touched on before, I was just thinking that in my head. Um I think the the young age of our squad makes me want to pick our most senior players for, for this sort of game. So Big Mo D R make. Big Mo, yeah, Big <laughs> Mo. Get get Saive back in. No, probably not. I mean, Saiver's performance at West Ham was 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 excellent, but it was out of nowhere, and I wouldn't you know really what? want to see him in the lineup. You again. know what? It was all right. Yeah. It was all right, and all right for him is excellent. It's miles better, but like, yeah. you see, some comments on social media like, "What's happened to Saiver? He's still not good enough." <laughs> yeah. So, what, but you would, I would obviously, Lascelles is somehow one of our most senior players. You need you need him in there. He's got. Right. He's got a. St- <laughs> I wasn't he's, suggesting dropping like he's yeah. got he's got to stick with the Clark Lascelles partnership. He probably Dummett's back. He's he's a senior player now. Um, I just want to see all the all the lads who've got the most Premier League experience because that's what we need here. Just a bit of a bit of composure, a bit of experience, and we'll we'll be all right. We've we've got a better team than them. So Norman Sai has been very reticent to give me any names at all apart from experience in, in the back four. Hosselu <laughs> Perez get re- reunite the old. Uh, in fact, Hosselu Perez Marino. I want to go back to. Back to Stoke, back to was it West Ham as well? That that three. Also didn't play at Stoke. Yeah, at, at home. Uh, at home, home. Oh, Stoke right, at home. home. That that those three on on the day were, were fucking brilliant. Marino was was on his game. Perez was linking up perfectly, and and Hossley was picking everything out of the air. So I had three different kind of aspects of the game going out. Marino picking out passes. I wouldn't bother with Shelby. I'd maybe introduce him if we if we need something in the second half. I'd, but I'd probably see, want to see. See you saying Diarme and uh, Marino. Yeah. Because I um, never ever want to turn up to St James's part again and see Hayden and Marino play together. <laughs> That's an exaggeration. I'm sure they'll both get better young players, uh, etc. Rafa's coaching, but please no. I would also start with Murphy instead of um. I know. I've just, I know. I've just mentioned uh, Murphy. I think he's 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 showed more than than Atu has in the last few games. I just oh. Atu's end product. However, did you see? Yeah. You are Norman. See inside. You were just talking about experience there. Now you're seeing bring Murphy in instead of Atu. <laughs> Um, to be fair, Murphy has probably got about as much experience as Atu in the Premier League. <laughs> um, but Aye. I don't know. Apparently, uh, Murphy was really good against Luton. Um, Atsu has delivered assists and quality this season and has he? a goal. So did you not watch assists. a West? Ham, did you not? Did you not watch a West Ham game? Fucking oh, hell, <laughs> Are you? Are you were? But yeah, exactly. Like he literally ended Zabaleta's career. Like, <laughs> like he's Zabaleta's still going for that ball now. Um, <laughs> I just think I just think he's Atsu's one of my best players on his day, and I think if if Jacob Murphy plays to his potential and Christian Atsu plays to his potential, I know who I'd rather have on the team. And when, same for Matt Ritchie, I'd probably I'd probably play Diarmi and Shelby after the performance they put in together 
at Stoke. They complement each other really, really well. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Marino and Shelby, but I don't know whether they've played themselves out of contention after listening to Mickey, Mr. Negative, but still Mickey on the podcast against Luton. Um, and I, I agree with you. I think it's it's time for Hoss. It's time for Hossaloo and it's time for Perez back in number 10. Yeah. Then again, if he goes Perez and Gale up front, I'm not going to complain. No. So we've got options, Norman. What would you go with? Um, Shelby and, Shelby and Diomi in the centre, definitely. Um, Marino is a brilliant option from the bench, like with about 25, 25 to go. Um, and, and up front, yes, uh, with, you, with you two lads on, on Hoss, as you call them there, which is just a brilliant nickname. Hoss, <laughs> I like that. Um, Hoss and, uh, and Perez, that would be my team. Um, Clark, and I mean, the defence more or less picks itself. I would... I'm saying I haven't said that Mankilo played a right back against Luton, but um, I'd go. Oh, there's one. Why isn't fullbacks? Um, Dumit left back and either Mankilo Yedlin right back or. I'd prefer Mankilo. Left back. I think we need the attacking lads in for this one. I thought against Brighton, defensively Dumit was fine. I think he got absolutely done by knockout once, but um, I think we need the attacking lads in. I thought Atsu really suffered playing with Dumit against Brighton. And that's not all Dumit's fault, but I just think we need to play the attacking lads for this one. Uh, I mean, Carver Howell, people are talking, he's new manager, second away game. They got the win at Watford, which they didn't deserve, but massive win from them. They'd be totally fucked without that. Um, people are talking about him. He did the double over us last season as he got the Indian sign over, over Rafa. For me, they kicked the shit out of it twice. They were the better team uh, down their place in Sheffield. We still should have got something out of the game. When we played them at home, they committed 26 fouls or something like that. It was an absolute disgrace. Uh, you can't get away with that in the Premier League. It's kind of no surprise to hear that um, they've had a red card already, though I hear they might be appealing that and it could get overturned. Uh, Rafa Benitez is, you know, a hundred times the manager. Carvajal is, um, like Norman alluded to, I think they're probably planning for next season with that appointment. Norman, just quickly on Swansea, after being the model of consistency held up to a lot of clubs for so long, what do you think's gone wrong with them? Well, I mean, I think the first thing is that um, Hugh Jenkins and a couple of people with them, they, assure, they sold their majority shareholding to a like a US consortium that's involves like 25 people. Um, okay. Little known fact, I mean, you might know it, but um, I didn't, is that um, one of those 25 is somebody called Mindy, who um, is a US comedy, TV comedy star. <laughs> you know that? No, I didn't. I don't no, know who she is, but no. But afterwards, I should pretty well known. Um, but <laughs> you've gone from like what's, uh, this sounds really cliche, but what, what you could to a certain extent call like a, a real community club in that you had Hugh Jenkins as a majority shareholder with a couple of others. And you've still got 21%, I think it is, fan ownership. But for the fans' representatives and the ownership to deal with Hugh Jenkins and two others, compared to dealing with an American consortium that probably isn't here much, and there are 25 of them, um, it's, a, it's a completely different structure than they know. Um, but, you know, that, that would have been, no doubt. But the other mistakes they've made, they've just made bad appointments. Um, Loudrup getting sacked was probably with a hindsight a bad appointment. You know, that they'd won the League Cup. They had a bit of a bad run in his second season, but ultimately, you know, the one that he could not playing in Europe, he had a he had a completely different um, set of fixtures to deal with, um, and he got sacked pretty early on, if I remember. And and they replaced him with Gary Monk, and Gary Monk is a fucking fraud as a manager. He's a poor manager. Um, if you even at the time when Monk was in charge at Swansea, the fans were grumbling, and then when he got sacked, it was like yeah, it's a relief because he's he's completely changed like the the imprint that was laid down by Martinez. I think I think Martinez came, you know. He, he had them playing that style of football and Lowe almost kind of carried it on um, as, the, as did Rodgers and then Munk came in all right defensive and it just it went pear-shaped on the end um, we lean again 
good manager in Italy, did a great job at Udinese, but he was kind of, you know, he was in the sort of burning them as of his career when Swansea appointed him and it just didn't work out. And then and then Clement, again, coming in as a firefighter, did a really good job. But Clement's one of those managers who, you know, you get these caretakers come in as a firefighter and they do really well and then they give him the big job and it doesn't work out. And you just get the impression that Clement's like forever destined to be a, an assistant manager. Um, so, and so the, the, that, they've made mistakes on the, on the appointment side and also losing players of the quality of Sigurdsson and Jurentia. Jurentia especially is going to be a massive blow and replacing, attempting to replace Jurentia with like a clearly like unfit um, Wilfred Bonny is just going to, it's going to cause you all sorts of trouble. So that's, that's my take on it. Yeah, I can't disagree with any of that. Um, we may as well wrap things up there. Just got a prediction from you lads. Um, me, uh, I'm going to go with me I'm going to go with 2-1 Newcastle and uh, another good performance. Another one. Our good performance has been no good home performances. But I think I think we might look back at that Brighton game. This is a big call. I think we might look back at that Brighton game and think, you know what? It was the right way to play. It was the right thing to do. We needed the point. We needed the clean sheet and we've built from there. Yeah. We need we'll, then, lose. then we'll have to go and delete the podcast me and you did after it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think it was that bad. I think we were just like, oh, what a, what a, it's because we'd stayed up until five in the morning watching it more than anything. Um, I, I reckon, I reckon 2 0 for this one. I think it'll be a very important clean sheet because we've, we've not had many. Um, I think we'll get a goal just before half time, settle the nerves, and then we'll, we'll just kind of see out the second half and, and get a late goal to, to seal it. Very specific, Norman. <laughs> um, a comfortable 1 0 win. Right. Is there such a thing? <coughs> in the sense that, right, we'll, we'll go a goal up and I genuinely think that we'll just, um, they'll, they'll just not offer any kind of response to it and I think we'll be comfortable. You know, when we got beat 1-0 at Fulham on the opening day of last season, that was a comfortable 1-0 <laughs> win for Fulham. Um, right, thanks very much for listening. We got there in the end. Um, nearly an hour done tonight on the preview show. Um, thanks to everyone who listens Follow us on Twitter at TF Weekly Pod. Um, I'd say leave a review, but we've got a three star review because someone doesn't like the sound quality, which we are going to try and improve very much so in the coming weeks. Uh, we've got some plans coming out soon about that. And uh, yeah, we'll be speaking to you again on Sunday, and uh, hopefully it'll be about a massive three points for Newcastle. So uh, cheers and speak to you then. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.